You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. California is not considered a landlord-friendly state. That means the laws lean toward the tenant's rights, not so much the property owner's rights. And that means it could be difficult to evict a non-paying tenant. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. In California, property prices are high, and even though rents are also high, they're not in line with the property price. For example, in some states, you can buy a brand new home for, say, $200,000 that rents for about $1,600 a month. In California, that same property might be twice the price for the same amount of rent, which translates to low cap rates. Nonetheless, our guest today wanted to own property in California, and he's figured out a way to address both of these issues by turning his California rentals into passive cash flow machines. And the most impressive part of the story is he's only 27 years old. Ryan Chaw is a pharmacist by profession who began investing just four years ago. He now teaches other people how to do what he's doing, and he's here to share that strategy. So Ryan, welcome to The Real Well Show. Hello, Kathy. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. These are interesting times for sure. Tell me what what's your real estate portfolio look like now? Yeah, so I have four single family homes with 18 tenants because I rent out per bedroom and they pay rental income of $10,755 per month. And I've been what? able to do this over the last four years. I bought my first property in 2016. I'm so glad you're on the show right now because this is a thought I had for people who are concerned about a a potential recession and will people have trouble potentially paying the rent if if they uh, lose their jobs or they get sick. So what are your thoughts on that given the business model that you have? Uh, Given my business model, I actually rent out to college students. So it's actually a lot more recession proof than if I were to like buy big apartment buildings or something like that, because the students, you know, they still have college. So I actually have all of my students on one year leases. So uh, I actually don't worry too much about, you know, rent not coming in. And the, the town, it's Stockton. Is that where the properties are located? Yeah, that is correct. Stockton, California. Interesting. Okay. And what, what school? UOP, University of the Pacific. Okay. And so what size homes? I mean, are these single family homes? Yeah, they're all single family homes, three bed, two bathrooms. So pretty cookie cutter properties, but I'm able to maximize the rent by renting out per bedroom. Um, I will change a three bed into like a four bed or a five bed. And then that will give me an extra $600 in, in rental income per bedroom. So imagine most times the rent around that area will go for about 1500 for a three bed, two bath. If you look on Zillow or if you look on Rentometer or even my appraisal, it came back as saying market rent is around 1500 for a three bed, two bath. I'm able to, because I rent out per bedroom or $600 a room, I'm able to get around 2500, 2700, or 3100 for my properties. That's so brilliant. Oh, you young people, you always <laughs> never <laughs> seem to amaze me. All right, so let's walk through it. How do you? How do you market for these rooms? How do you fill out the leases? Who's on the lease? I mean, how does, how does all that work? Yeah, so first I, I kind of do some targeting. So I have like an ideal tenant in mind and then I do my screening process and then I have a system in case like tenant issues arise. 
So for targeting, I target professional students like pharmacy students, dental students. Um, UOP has a pharmacy school, so I do have a lot of pharmacy students. I think last year, half of my tenants were pharmacy. Um, we do want to look for third or fourth year students usually. I kind of stay away from the second and first years. That's just because, you know, the maturity level is more there when they're, you know, in professional school and third and fourth and grad school, right? So I look for those and usually I, I do ads on Facebook groups. So every college has Facebook groups. They'll have an off-campus housing group. They'll have a textbook exchange and I'll just post my ad there. And usually within the first two days or so, I'll get like 12 people contacting me. No kidding. And then I'll just, yeah, I mean, I'll screen them. So I'll go through their social media profiles, kind of interact with them, see uh, what their major is, see kind of how responsible they are based off of their response time. So someone who gives me, you know, a rental application back right away is very responsive, is probably going to be a better tenant. Um, than someone who doesn't because like if someone pays late rent, right, that person who got that rental app back right away and is very responsible will probably get that rent paid right away versus you're chasing someone down for late rent, right? Wow. So, uh, yeah, you're the I do landlord? look for that. I mean, you're the um, property manager? I am, yes. I self-manage the property. I'm actually, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm a, I'm a pharmacist by trade. So I graduated in 2015 with my pharmacy degree. And so I've also worked as a pharmacist for four years now as well. But I didn't always want to just be that pharmacist and work until I'm, you know, 65 years old. I also wanted to, you know, be able to live life on my own terms, you know, be able to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whomever I want to do it with. Also be able to have that financial freedom and income to support my family in times of the crisis, to travel the world and, you know, live a little more fulfilling life as well, or at least have that option. Unbelievable. Wow. Okay. So how did you learn this at such a young age? I mean, what, what inspired you to choose real estate as your vehicle for building wealth? Um, it was actually my grandpa. He bought a couple properties in the Bay Area and uh, the 1950s. So you can imagine they're pretty Ooh. dirty back then. Yeah, he's yeah, not regretting that choice. Like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, but I mean, he had no idea it's going to grow that big. But um, yeah, the rental income from those properties were able to you know, pay for all of his expenses and allow him to retire early. And not only that, he was able to help pay for my college tuition and that of my brothers as well. So, you know, I really realized that real estate is one of the best tools to create generational wealth. Just f- fabulous. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 27 now. 27. Oh, that's just so amazing. And you own how many properties? Four single four. family homes. So how did, how did you do that? How did you get four? I mean, how'd you get your first one? Yeah, great question. So I worked a lot of overtime, first of all. Uh, so I, I saved up through the years. I actually had invested in mutual funds from some of the jobs I worked back in high school. And then, you know, I worked a lot of overtime when I started as a pharmacist and then just saved up for a large down payment, put it on the first house. And then from the cash flow on that first house, I reinvested that into the second, you know, the down payment on the second house and so on and so forth. And not only that, on the fourth house, I took out something called a HELOC, which is home equity line of credit. So basically, I accessed the equity from the appreciation on my first house and put it as a down payment on the fourth house. 
my first house actually I bought for two sixty two thousand, and then it reappraised for three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars about you know three years later. So and now with the low interest rates, are you refinancing any of these? Or? I am. Yes, I'm looking. <laughs> I'm talking to some lenders right now to refinance their record lows. Actually, a week ago it was even lower. I think it was like a two point. Seven five percent. Now it's like three point two five or three point one. I know it surprised a lot of people that rates actually went up. I don't know. I guess banks need to make a profit too. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the competition between the banks, which will lower the rates, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so how now have you been listening to the Real Wealth Show? Because it's a little bit different than you know some of the things you're you're investing in the Bay, not the Bay Area, but in California, where it's not very landlord friendly. We always say, "Don't do that. Go somewhere else." <laughs> yeah, what kind yeah of- that's true. Um, yeah, you know, I'm surprised about how far I've been able to come. Um, yes, there are a lot of laws coming out, mainly for commercial real estate. But you know, I checked with my local city. And asked them, is this okay to do? You know, can I rent out per bedroom? They said everything's legal as long as you get a business license with the city. And then from there, you can do multiple leases on a house. You can, you know, put two uh, tenants per one bedroom if you wanted to. Um, Like if I had a couple, you know, I might put them into one bedroom. And so I just made sure everything was legal. And because, you know, even though California does have such low cap rates, and it's harder to make a cash flow on it. I was able to do it because I used this model of student housing. And I truly believe this is a very powerful model. And that's why I'm also teaching others how to do it. Wow. Oh, that's just, that's really exciting. So I'm curious if everyone has their own lease, but there's damage done to that, let's say the, the living room or so, you know, the shared part of the house, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, who pays for that? So it depends on how big the damage is. I might spot them depending on how much the damage is. If it's a common area though, I do have it in the lease. And that's the the main thing. You have to make sure the lease is as specific as possible. You know, I put everything in the lease. So when an issue arises, we just refer to the lease and, you know, it's clearly stated, right? So in the lease, it states that, you know, common areas, it's technically a shared tenant responsibility. So it would come out from the security deposit from all of the tenants that are living in the house, depending on how big the damage is. And, you know, if it's something that maybe it's just wear and tear versus something like the tenant punched a hole in the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What I, it's, I have another friend, a close personal friend who did the same thing kind of in the Martinez, California area for mm-hmm. um, pipe workers there who just work a oh, yeah. lot and they just need a bed, you know? And so he, he was renting out, he would buy four bedroom houses and rent them by the room. And he had never done any education, never listened to my show, even though he's a friend and was making so much <laughs> cash flow. I don't know why I didn't copy his model. It sounds brilliant, but I'm just afraid to do business in California anymore. So, yeah. You yeah. Know, <laughs> it is scary. Yeah. You know, so especially in the Bay Area, the laws do favor um, the tenants. But um, I'm lucky, you know, in Stockton so far, it's, it's been pretty good. Yeah, good. And, and plus, it's college students. So like, I'm not going to have to deal with evictions. And that's mainly what um, people are worried about, you mm-hmm. know, when, when they get into real estate in California is the eviction process because the tenants have a lot of power through the eviction process. 
Like if you were to try to evict someone in the Bay Area, it's like good luck, right? But for something for college students, they're coming in and out every one or two, three years, right? So, you know, they're going to already move on themselves. So I don't have to worry about that whole process. Plus, it's also the family or the parents usually paying the rent or if they're taking out student loans to pay the rent. So I'm not worried about unpaid rent. Are the parents also signing on the lease or is it just the student? Yeah, I usually have the parents co-sign the lease. And then I'll get the last two-month bank statements from the parents and their FICO score to make sure that they can afford the rent. Well, I just think this is a really important model. We we don't know what's ahead of us in these uh, turbulent, changing times. This is definitely something I have been thinking about as a way to provide affordable housing and, and, uh, you know, help some people who maybe can't afford what they could have afforded before. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's, that's key too. This is more affordable for a lot of students because on-campus housing costs $1,100, $1,200 per month. And then we're charging only $600 per month. We're just as close to the classes as the on-campus housing. We provide a lot more privacy because you get a whole house, right? You get a kitchen, you get a backyard and everything. So for a lot of students, this is you know a really good deal for them. In fact, I consider it a blue ocean. I get like three or four tenants interested for every room I have available. So I have to turn down a lot of tenants, actually. Now, do you do any kind of roommate matching or do they just they get to pick who they live with or do they get who they get? Some of them do have friends. So I do prioritize groups if possible. So some of them will come in a group of three or four and then I'll prioritize them. But other, other than that, I don't do specific uh, roommate matching. Um, a little bit, I, I guess in terms of gender, sometimes, you know, if the girls are not comfortable having, you know, a co-ed or other guys in the house, then, you know, I would have, you know, the girls kind of have a, a you know, all girl house. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to watch out, you know, you can't put out ads saying that, you know, this is an all female house or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, because the girls do prefer other girls and they won't rent out if the, if it was guys in the house then you know i kind of just use that yeah there's we we were in, involved in a roommate matching tech company that didn't actually go very well but um but i liked the concept and one of the ways to get around those fair housing laws was to have the tenant advertise because they can yeah. they can choose who they want to live with you as a landlord can't exactly yeah mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, so have you done everything flawlessly and perfectly, or have you had some tough lessons along the way? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, the first house, actually, I have a very interesting story about. So I bought it. It was over 100 years old. And I didn't do my due diligence when I bought the house. Um, one of the things I learned is the importance of doing a sewage line inspection. So what happened one day, about a year in after buying the house, a tenant called up and said, hey, there's, um, there's poop coming out of the kitchen sink onto the kitchen floor. So, and this was like at 11 p.m. at night. So, was, and he said, it's foul smelling, it's really bad. And so I had to start calling up plumbers at 11 p.m. And you can imagine not many people responded, right? So the cost to sanitize everything and put in a sump pump, just that cost was already a couple thousand dollars. Mm. And um, not only that, we put the camera down the sewage line and we found that the whole line was compromised with roots, 
from the trees, right? So we had to replace the whole sewage line and that cost $6,000 to replace. So overall on my first house, you know, I also ran into pest control issues and heating HVAC issues. We had to replace the whole HVAC system as well. So overall on the first house, I lost, I would say, I had to spend $20,000 on repairs. But wow. luckily, like I said, it appreciated and, and priced dramatically. So that, that I is didn't a, make up for it yeah. <laughs> in that appreciation. Luckily, but I learned a lot of lessons from that first house. And that first lesson was doing a sewage line inspection during the escrow phase of the house and using that as a negotiation point during escrow phase. Either have the, you know, the seller write you a check to replace the sewage line or have him make repairs himself. Oh, I like that. I really like that. I, I had the same thing happen on one of my Cleveland properties. That's yeah, it's been one a of common my, issue. Yeah, it's been my best performing property. I bought it for so cheap in, I don't know, 2014, 2015. Yeah. And uh, it's obviously gone up quite a bit in value, but I think we just spent 15 grand on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if, I, if I weren't educating people on this topic, I'd be really mad. But it's like, hey, I've made <laughs> so much money on this house and it's cash flowed all these years, same tenant. It's just the cost of doing business and you need to have the reserve set aside. But I like your idea even better to yeah. just get, get a, an inspection. Now, you just, like, who does that kind of inspection? You just go to a plumber? or what? Yeah, you could just have a plumber do it. He, he sticks a snake down the pipe. Um, does a, it's called a sewage lateral line inspection. And it only costs $100, $200, depending on who you hire. Very, very good. Oh, that's a great hot tip. Yeah. Any, yeah. Other, any other great tips for our listeners? Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say have systems and processes in place as well. I do preventative maintenance. So a lot of things you can prevent um, include plumbing issues, like I said, right? One product I swear by that worked really well for me is something called the Green Gobbler. If you pour that down your kitchen sinks and uh, shower drains, it'll get rid of all the fat, grease, and um, hair, and then it'll unclog the drains and also prevent clogs from happening. So just doing that uh, twice a year, just doing that twice a year, I was able to save so much in plumbing expenses. Oh my gosh. See you millennials. You just do so much research. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And the other thing, actually, it's, it's kind of just learning as well. Um, I had a lot of pest control problems. And what we found was the rats and squirrels were getting into the house through the branches. They'll climb the branches of the trees and then they'll get onto the roof and into the house. So one thing I learned is always trim the branches um, and keep make sure they're kept trimmed or try to eliminate the trees where, when possible to prevent pest control issues. Fantastic. Oh, I just, I got to have you back. Uh, we're out of time, but I got to have you back. This <laughs> was good Kathy. stuff. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show, Kathy. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can listen to this and any past episodes at realwealthshow.com.